The Voices of Search podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything podcast network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. Welcome to the Voices of Search podcast and I Hear Everything production. In this podcast, we'll share the news, knowledge, and strategies you need to navigate the ever-changing world of SEO. Ready to expedite your company's organic growth efforts? Sit back, relax, and get ready for your daily dose of search engine optimization wisdom. Here's today's host of the Voices of Search podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Bridge Toll, California, customer service number. Highway miles to the gallon, Ford Focus. Thailand cave rescue operation. What is schema F? Best wine bars in San Carlos, California. Best Western hotels. How old is Ronaldo? What happened with Big Brother? What's a good engagement? engagement How long before gift? a wedding should I send out and save the dates? In the first series Use IMAP to check email on other email clients. Identify fonts from where to find. Welcome to the Voice of Search My name is Benjamin Shapiro, and I'm the executive producer of the Voices of Search podcast. And today we've got a special episode for you, which is going to be guest hosted by our friend Tyson Stockton, who is the co-founder and educational partner at Previsible, which is an SEO consulting and education company that helps support enterprise businesses scale organic search traffic and educate their organizations. And this podcast is also sponsored by Ahrefs. What if I told you that you could monitor your website's SEO health, backlinks, and organic rankings at no costs? Sounds too good to be true? Well, it's not. Because my friends at Ahrefs just launched Ahrefs Webmaster Tools. Ahrefs' new Webmaster Tools product quickly helps you improve your site's visibility by pointing solutions to over 100 technical issues that might be holding your search performance down. Plus, AWT monitors for backlinks so you'll know the most linked to pages and how those links are affecting your rankings. And AWT shares what keywords your website ranks for and compares how you stack up against competitors for key metrics like search volume, keyword difficulty, and traffic value. Look, monitoring your website used to require multiple expensive tools. And now, thanks to Ahrefs, that's not the case anymore because AWT will help you monitor your SEO health, backlinks, and keywords for free. And no, it's not one of those 14-day free trial offers. It's a powerful site audit tool that will keep working for you for free. So check out Ahrefs Webmaster Tools at ahrefs.com slash A-W-T. That's A-H-R-E-F-S dot com slash A-W-T. All right, here's an episode of the Voices of Search podcast, guest hosted by Tyson Stockton from Previsible. Hey, what's going on? My name's Tyson from Previsible.io. And today we're going to be discussing how to build and manage an enterprise SEO team. Joining me today is Sebastian Egger, who is global SEO lead at Square, which is part of Block Inc. Square helps millions of sellers run their business from securing credit cards to processing point of sale solutions. Square is based in San Francisco, California. The company was founded in 2009 by Jack Dorsey and launched its first platform in 2010. Today, Sebastian and I are going to be going to discuss how to evaluate your current assets and resources, when to use internal versus external resources, skill sets and internal resources to be successful at the enterprise level, and how do you develop SEO talent and managing SEO within an enterprise. 
Sebastian, welcome back. Day two, we're continuing the conversation around building and managing an enterprise SEO team. So yesterday, we hit on a lot of topics on evaluating assets, skill sets, internal, external locations of it. So I think a lot of good discussion points to get people thinking a little more broader about how to compose like an SEO team, whether it's location or even individuals that they're bringing on. But shifting gears a little bit, today we want to go into kind of like the management of the team and like the development of your people on the team. So with that, let's just jump right into this. How do you view and kind of like what's your take on developing internal team members? Yeah, absolutely. The first thing that comes to mind is being an individual contributor versus being a people lead, people manager. It's the age old question. Does everyone who works in the business world need to become a people manager to be successful? I completely disagree with that one. It's a choice and there are tons of benefits to being an IC and individual contributor. I, I think the key thing is I would hope you work at a company that values um, IC work. I do think that a lot of people look at man people manager work is like yeah this is the goal this is where i want to be at but it shouldn't be that way so that really is my first my first conversation on that because there's always tremendous needs for folks to work as an individual contributor especially if if especially if they've developed into a great seo they have great knowledge they understand just the internal internal team really well is that going to make them necessarily like a successful manager does that mean that necessarily that they have to become i don't necessarily think so but it it doesn't mean that you shouldn't pursue pursue that. So anyways, that's ultimately where really I start. And then the second piece is stepping out of your comfort zone, allowing people to step out of their comfort zone. So that does relate to the previous thing of IC being manager, that if someone really wants to become a manager, then start coaching them, start drilling them, and start really see how they go with specific tasks, specific initiatives where they don't feel, where they don't feel comfortable. That's probably when at least I learned the most or when just, I always say, I hope most people learn the most when you're in a situation like, oh shit, I, I don't know what to do. I got to figure this out. I've heard a lot of arguments on that one where it's like, if you do that too often, then you're not leveraging people the right way. You're not leveraging their strengths. So then work is a lot less efficient. So that I thought was an interesting argument. But then the other argument is, is that a good long-term plan? I don't necessarily think so. So my take is you want to figure out a right balance of making sure that people have like work that adheres to their strengths. So they're able to do the best work possible and they feel comfortable there. But then they always have that little little moment of being like, okay, I don't know what to do. I'm going to have to learn something new and actually grow, grow from there. So it's some way stepping out of your comfort zone and task diversity uh, in general. And the third point that I'll, that I'll mention is how you view hiring where of internal promotion versus external hiring. Not really something that is so dependent on, on companies, but I'm a big fan of obviously where applicable is just promoting internally. It gives the vision so that other people in the company can see that, oh cool, if I, if I work my ass off and if I if I get work done and there is a position that is going to be opening up in the team that I know will be considered because that's how we've hired so far. So bit high level, but these are really the three key things that come to mind and that I look out when I start to develop uh, yeah, internal team members. Couldn't agree more on that internal promotion. I think morale, just drive, keeping people engaged, like tons of benefits 
from that regard there. And also it's like you get that if you stay with an organization for an extended period of time, like multiple, multiple years, you understand all the little nuances of like how an organization works. So I think oftentimes too, with that internal promotion, sure, there's going to be a learning curve, but it's not quite as steep as someone that's maybe coming with no understanding of how things get done in the organization. So that's always a big piece. But kind of going back one of this like comfort zone versus like out of the comfort zone, black better way, what would you say like, and maybe oversimplifying, but like, from your perspective, what would be the appropriate percentage of like familiarity and confidence versus work that's like stretching the individual a little bit? Like, would you say it's kind of like an 80, 20, 50, 50? Like what, if you had to summarize that, I don't know, elements of the job, what percent is too much that then risks burnout or just frustration, fatigue? Like, what do you think that right balance is? Oof, that's a good question. I wish I had a more scientific answer. But in my head, the first thing that came out is, yeah, 80, 20, maybe even 70, 30. Uh, 70, 30 sounds pretty good to me. I'm trying to think back in just my previous experience, even, even for me personally, where I felt the best. But geez, yeah, when you get, it is an interesting topic of discussion. And as you can see, I'm having trouble answering it because when you reach a specific threshold to your point, you're going to increase frustration and it's not going to be efficient. And ultimately at the end of the day, I don't know, it's going to sound a bit harsh, but at the end of the day, you're here to do a job. You're here to help the business. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, and it's the balance of like, you're hired for a reason. Let's not forget about that. I don't know. Maybe it's a bit of an antiquated view. Maybe it's a bit too 1960s Mad Men. You you won't think, but that, that's how I did. That's how I describe you is <laughs> 1960s Mad Men. <laughs> that's it, exactly. Um, I'm yeah. Don Draper in disguise. I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it. If only I had bourbon next to me, I should have brought that. Actually, uh, <laughs> nice glass of no. Should have been drinking that for this. But ultimately, again, not not to be too like negative about it, but ultimately, you're you're hired for a job. That's why you're you're here to do something, and the the company expects you to perform. It doesn't mean that you can't have any aspirations, or or you can do something that goes beyond that. Absolutely not, my gosh. But that's my reason for comment here is you don't want to go too crazy with the balance because then ultimately it'll be bad for the company and it'll be bad for you in terms of you're not going to be able to put your best foot forward. And that's ultimately what you want to do, right? You want to work toward your strengths, with your strengths, and figure out when you're out of your comfort zone, do you want to be 100% out of your comfort zone? No, 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 no. You still want to figure out how to leverage some of your strengths to help you with this delicate problem because you're not going to be great at everything. And it's like, but you're not going to be crappy at everything either. So... For example, when you have a task that's given to you and that is a completely different task than you've ever done, it's a very complicated task and you don't know how to do it, you should leverage whatever strengths you have, whether it's like, okay, problem solve. I may not know how to do this, but I'm a good problem solver. So you put that to the table or you're great at analytics or you're great at communications, then you know who to reach out to. And that's what I mean with figuring out the right balance. Because if you're in a position, it makes no sense to give someone a task that's out of their comfort zone, but they would have no way to approach it. That's inefficient in so many different ways. I mean, not only for the company, but for yourself, because what, what are you going to be able to learn from that? You don't want to learn by, by just having someone do the work for you. 
So it really is a balancing act. So that's why it's tough for me to answer whether it's 80, 20, 70, 30. It's maybe you start with an 80, 20, and then you ensure that the tasks that you work with your manager and you'd be like, hey, I want to do more complicated tasks. And then it's it's part of the manager's job too and, and communicate with you to make sure that you're still able to use some of your strengths to work with this. I mean, even myself, like I used to be, even when I got started in Excel a long time ago, I, I had no idea about Excel, but I got just thrown in here. But luckily, I was pretty good at just connecting the dots. So creating an Excel formula ended up being easy for me because all it is, is it's connecting the dots. It's just applying logic and it's putting one equation to another, right? And so at the end of the day, I turn this hard challenge into something that I'm good at. But it started with a challenge, but I, that would not have been possible if I just were not very good at just that sort of that sort of thinking that would hopefully be good at something else. So a bit of a long answer on that one, but that's my take. <laughs> no, it, it's a great point. I guess first, like I would agree, like it's in the ballpark, at least for me, between that 20, 30% of the challenging out of the comfort zone, because obviously you don't want to have it like 50, 50 or even more so of it because quality of work, frustrations, all of that run high. But I think you made a, an excellent point of also the way that an individual gets stretched out of their comfort zone. If they have a strength to pull from or lean on within that net new activity or whatever they're doing, it gives them some confidence, some springboard kind of like place that they can work from. And it's almost like I think of it if you're trying to teach someone something new and you can make comparisons or parallels to something that's already familiar. And so like if you're talking to someone that's, I don't know, into cars and you're making car analogies, like those things might resonate a little bit stronger than if it's like you're trying to make an analogy to like, I don't know, some medical thing and the person has no understanding of medical. It's like, the more that you're able to create parallels. So I think it's a really good piece of like shifting the focus, not just a percent of time spent out of the comfort zone, but in ways that you're able to draft off like a strength that an individual has and then allows them to build upon something. Yeah, spot on. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Time for a one minute break to hear from our sponsor, Previsible. So you're looking for SEO help. And you got a couple of options. You could start replying to spam from agencies that claim they can get you to rank number one on Google. You can pay an hourly rate for a consultant who will inevitably nickel and dime you with hourly charges. Or you can work with a cookie cutter agency to quickly launch a strategy-less project with low success rate. None of those sound very good, now do they? Well, that's where Previsible's integrated consulting model comes in. Previsible draws from a collective 40 years of SEO and digital marketing experience to unlock your organic growth opportunities. They build custom solutions that combine strategy, technical expertise, content, and reporting to effectively operationalize SEO for your business. Previsible's four-stage approach ensures that your SEO programs thrive by starting off with a strategy-first approach. Then they support you in your efforts to create quality content, help you identify technical issues, and most importantly, they'll work with your cross-functional teams to integrate your SEO strategies to make sure that your SEO budget actually drives results, not just your agency's bottom line. So join brands like Yelp, eBay, Canva, Atlassian, Square, all who rely on the SEO consultants at Previsible. For more information, go to previsible.io. 
That's previsible, P-R-E-V-I-S-I-B-L-E dot I-O. So kind of continuing on this, how about in the sense of like the management of the SEO team? Like how do you how do you go about thinking like what are some of the challenges for you? Like how do you think about how you're managing an SEO team? Yeah, yeah. A lot of challenges. Yeah, two, two ways, two things to look into. The first one is almost going back to a point we we're talking about earlier, which is the whole decentralized workforce, right? We're talking about these challenges a little bit where you're going to have team members in different locations. And again, that's that's really only true if the locations have a time, a significant time difference, because then you want to figure out a program that allows, enables meeting inclusion. So you're never going to have an ideal scenario. That's the first thing you should be honest with yourself. You're just, it's not going to be ideal. Again, it goes back to give and take, right? There are a lot of advantages that's going to be one of the disadvantages, but you want to make sure that every team member, doesn't matter how far they are, whether they feel represented and included uh, in the conversations, whether it's in synchronous conversations or asynchronous uh, conversations and figure out like a good program, whether it's like through Slack channels, whether, whether it's like through different meeting cadence, uh, meeting times, and just making sure that there is that representation. It's hard. I won't lie. It is tough, but that is just one thing that you have to make sure that you have some sort of system in place. Other than that, you know, during COVID, it's it was really hard because as much of a fan I am of decentralized work, remote work, too much of it isn't good either. And one thing that even as people lead that I really did struggle and even folks on my team will know if they listen to this episode, they'll they'll agree with me that I, I struggle with this, which is how to make sure that everyone is included, that people don't work in silos, that people feel that even as everyone is around the world, you have some sort of team unity and people work together. And as you know, I'm not I'm not a fan of mandatory fun. I think these things that people do where it's like, oh, let's have a virtual happy hour. Again, I, I feel like a, I feel like I'm very cynical in this energy today. But in one of these happy hours, we have a bunch of people from the team. In an idea, it's a it's a good idea, but in execution, it sucks because you can only have one person that talks at once. So then you have a team of 10 on Zoom or Google Meet, all with their drinks, but it's only one person that can talk at a time. So you never have a good flow of conversation and it, they've never worked out. I don't know. I've always been very cynical about those. And so I've, I've tried to figure out what are other things that we can do that have purpose, uh, that have like a greater purpose for the business, for the company. Again, I'm maybe a little old fashioned there, but we're, we're hired to do a job and yes, grow ourselves as well in the business ladder. But ultimately the more creme de la creme and, and balance is like figuring out, well, What's something where people feel they're part of a team that can learn, they can, you know, also have fun and feel that they're part of something, but also that has like greater purpose. So whether that's in a form of consistent L&D opportunities, learning and development opportunities, workshops, internal working sessions, maybe smaller working sessions. It doesn't always have to be with the entire team. Again, depending on how big your team is, coming with a perspective of a large team. But so having these workshops that like brainstorms that allows people to also voice whatever they want to voice in it in a setting that is no idea is a bad idea. I am actually a huge proponent of that, of creating those where it's like, put whatever is out there. There's really no bad idea. And I really do mean it. It's like, yeah, it doesn't matter how bad you think it is, put it out there and let's talk about it. And just having these sessions that allows people to feel to feel included. Very hard in if everyone's fully remote and never meet in person. So that I definitely challenge with that. I hope I'm not the only one who challenged with that. I feel like crap. But now that it's you have a little bit less of that, this is kind of something that's been a lot more top of mind of 
yeah, again, yeah, making sure that people just feel included and and then they can learn, learn and grow. So as a manager, just really never forget thinking about that part. You know, if you have the day-to-day work, Don Draper, day-to-day, we're here to do business type of stuff, but also, hey, let me make sure that that my team is able to also get some personal benefits out of it. If that makes sense. Yeah. No, I, I think, I mean, it, it brings together like the the people aspect side of it. And it's like, ultimately, it's like, yeah, we are working with people. Everyone's going to have those intrinsic factors that are going to bleed into quality, energy, everything else about their work. But I do like the point of kind of leaning into that development piece, because I think that is also, and especially going back to the last episode, if you're hiring people that have that strong learning aptitude, that ambition, that kind of like drive, part of the characteristics that's going to keep an individual like that engaged and motivated is the feeling that they are progressing their skill set. So whether it's those internal working sessions they're talking about or workshops or just various forms of development and improvement, I think it's a win-win as the manager because one, you're further progressing the skill sets of your teams and as your individuals you're leading. But then you also have the ability to tap into that like engagement, how fulfilled someone feels at work. And so you have a lot of benefits kind of like both ways. Yeah. Another thing that too we didn't talk about is that I didn't talk about is the flexible aspect of things too. Like work flexibility in terms of hours and locations. I mean, I hope people could vouch for that who have worked with me, but I don't really care how much vacation people take, when they take time off, how much time off they take, when they work. And that is a big piece, I think, of like management of, a, of an SEO team, frankly, of any team in general, where it's making sure that people feel the most, I can up with this, feel the most, pro- in, yeah, feel the most productive, that you're able to give them an environment where they feel the most productive. And that environment could be either in a location or could be also time environment. That it's like, hey, I'm, I'm really, I just want to work you know, maybe these hours, I'll get the work done, but only morning and like evening. I know I've known some people who, I don't know, they were adamant toward working late at night. Like that was the working style. It's like, I may not be online at three or 4 p.m., but I'll be online from nine until midnight. And that's how you work and you get your work done and it doesn't create any issues. Honestly, who am I as a manager to say no? I always found that weird that you have to, especially in a remote setting, to adhere to specific principles. If that's something that works better for you, I don't know, I may be wrong with this one, but I like to think that as a manager, it's also your job to appeal to what works best for individual team members. It will, you provide that flexibility, but then it's also on the employees to put that flexibility back. That it's like, hey, you're gonna, I want you to join that meeting at 4 p.m. when you're usually not working, whether it's ad hoc or on a weekly basis, then I would expect them to have to do it because it's not a consistent thing. But that is also something that I think is important as part of the management aspects um, of a team, because then you get to a point where it's like, everyone is on the same page. It's like, yep, I'm here to do a job, but I know that cool, as part of that job, I will be able to grow. I know I'll be able to work with other people. I know I'm gonna be able to learn thanks to these workshops and other opportunities, but I can also choose my own schedule and I'm not gonna be micromanaged in terms of when or where the work gets done. And a lot of that too comes down to a trust piece. It's a a trust piece on the employee side. It's a trust on the manager side. And if you're bringing in good people, there should be that assumption of they're going to get their work done. If I can empower and enable them, 
to have some flexibility that ultimately will keep them motivated, engaged, energized. Like, yeah, it's just kind of what comes. And I think too, especially with a decentralized workforce remote, like you inherently have to have a higher, a higher level of trust. Like you're not watching the individual the entire time. So it's like, you do need to just have that as an assumption when making those remote hires or hires on the other side of the world. Yeah, you know, I was just thinking at the moment of like, even when I was like earlier in my my career now, and, and I remember applying for all these SEO jobs. It goes back to the conversation we we're having before of how to hire for SEO, of like SEO specific skills versus other skills. But I remember when I was interviewing earlier in my career for all these, for so many companies and all the only questions they were asking me were SEO related questions, like SEO specific case study. That's all it was. And I remember I filled so many of them. I don't know, because I guess, you know, at the time my knowledge wasn't wasn't that good, but I knew I was a good employee, but they didn't care about anything else, which now we're having this discussion. It's interesting because I, at least I think that, you know, like we talked about SEO should be more like, shouldn't be the focal point, but you should focus on all the other skill sets that then hopefully one of them is, can I trust this person that I'm going to be hiring? Can I trust this person to actually, if I hire this person in the EU market when I'm sleeping, that person is learning about SQS. And when we have a one-on-one, I know they're developing and they have this self-starter mentality. And ultimately, so you're spot on with that, that it's like trust should be part of that aspect rather than like, damn, I just hired the best SEO specialist ever. It's like, great, but what about everything else? Because that will factor into just the general management and how you can lead a team efficiently. And maybe just to to kind of end cap on this, but we've touched uh, several different points on decentralized teams and international. Like, what any final thoughts or final recommendations that you'd like to leave with the audience on addressing or solving some of those international challenges? Yeah, yeah, I think that that one is a is an interesting conversation because. The international challenges that you have, at least the way I look at them, they're definitely resolved um, or they should be, maybe I should say they should be talked about in the same lens of how you're hiring. So again, this is coming from the lens of your company that's looking to grow internationally. And essentially, I'm of the strong belief that your team should grow according to how the company is going to grow. So if you're expanding in one market, yeah, you probably should look into if you're able to hire in that specific market for a multitude of reason. I mean, first of all, I, I just think it's fun to have an international team. It's just it's cool to have people around the world, so many difference, you know, difference in perspectives. I don't know. It's just fun. It's just kind of cool. But <laughs> aside from that, you want to make sure that you can hire people who also have an understanding of the local market. Right? It goes beyond going back really to the conversation. They may not be the best SEO, but at least they're going to know how the market works, then you can apply these, you know, they can apply their understanding of their knowledge to a local specific organic search strategy. And so that I think is is really, really important. Again, is that in-house that could also be done through an agency? I've definitely made the mistake in the past. You know, I won't shy away from it. And where it's like, even I was like, okay, the agency needs to be headquartered in the U.S., but then I also want to make sure they have an international program. Even I've made that mistake that in hindsight, I'm like, yeah, that was actually a pretty stupid decision. It's like, no, I should have looked for a company maybe in Europe or it could be APAC, but European market is pretty good because they do speak English, especially like whether it's like UK or Ireland or not Canada even, where they have experience working with 
with the American market and other markets. And again, cost of labor is going to be cheaper. So then you could still go with, with an agency and get that international piece done while your, your internal team you know, stays in the U.S. So, so the first thing is just making sure that you have people who have an understanding of the market specific needs. And then if you're hiring for product managers in that new region, which is in a completely different time zone, well, your local market manager is going to work with these local market product folks or whatever. So, well, they really should be in the same time zone. So again, you want to follow, you want to follow that. And then a few additional pieces and just how everything, how everything works there is on the international front is, you know, you need to make sure that you're able to collaborate strongly with different teams, whether it's like the globalization, the marketing team, the content team, that as you're setting up this international program, SEO metrics are used as part of other channels. The last maybe closing thought that I can that I can say is this is a much larger conversation, but another reason why you want to have market specific folks a local team is you can't expect every market to run to run the same, right? The US market is very different than Canadian markets. I mean, look at the European market. You have France here, you have Spain right there, two completely different, completely different consumers, two completely different websites, two completely different needs. And so you want to make sure that you have people who are able to dig in to these market specific or have an understanding of what these market specific needs are. Customer touch points are completely different. If you look at the conversion flow, one market versus another, you're going to see things. You're going to notice consumers behaving very, very differently. I'm also at the big mindset that in these earlier phases, uh, you should look at SEO and CRO in a very, very similar lens that you want to make sure that your strategy that you're employing is going to be a converting strategy, right? And also, if you focus a lot on CRO, you learn a hell of a lot of how users interact in that market. And so I just hope that when people, when I hire in these local markets, and even though it's like for an SEO role, I always tell people that say, hey, you want to you want to go a little bit beyond that because inside the metrics from different channels or different functions, CRO is more of a function. You should look at these and gain, get an understanding there because that will even help you in the long run. So bit of a slight tangent, but I think it, it really does work quite a bit with the whole hiring and managing team because it's, it's like looking at these very important tasks that go with how a team is generally set, set up, especially on the uh, international front. Yeah. And I mean, love that tip kind of at the end of learning from and drafting off like CRO, especially in those international markets. I think that can be super, super beneficial. But too, it's like the the way you're describing it, I think, I mean, obviously it's giving respect to the kind of like localization or the nuances of the market that you're operating in. But it also sounds like you're leaning that focus front from more of like the marketing side of like SEO initiatives. So it's like from types of landing pages, what keywords you're targeting, like a lot of the more kind of like on page optimization or page build out where it's like, obviously your technical front isn't going to vary. Like, yeah, you might have different kind of benchmarks industry standard wise, but it's like, you're not going to deliberately, like every market you're going to want to download as fast as possible and have the highest core web vital scores. So it's like those elements, like you're not going to alter or differ, but it's that like more of kind of like marketing side of the conversation that I would say that you're putting the emphasis and focus with the internationalization of your efforts. 
Yeah, 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 hundred percent. Totally agree on that one. All right. Well, that wraps up this episode of Voices of Search. Uh, thanks again to Sebastian Egger, global SEO lead from Square.com, for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Sebastian, you can find a link to his LinkedIn profile in the show notes or visit his company's website, square.com. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you in the next episode. Thanks for having me. Great to be here, Tyson. Okay. Thanks to Tyson Stockton, our guest host. If you'd like to get in touch with Tyson, you can find a link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can contact him on Twitter where his handle is Tyson underscore Stockton. Or if your team is interested in SEO consulting or organizational education, you can always head to their company's website, which is previsible.io. That's P-R-E-V-I-S-I-B-L-E.io. And a special thanks to Previsible for sponsoring this podcast. If you're looking for support with all of your SEO needs, Previsible's integrated consulting model is there for you. They draw on a collective 40 years of SEO and digital marketing experience to help you unlock your organic search and growth opportunities. So join brands like Yelp, eBay, Canva, Atlassian, and Square, all who rely on SEO consultants at Previsible. For more information, go to previsible.io. That's P-R-E-V-I-S-I-B-L-E dot I-O. And a special thanks to Ahrefs for sponsoring this podcast. Monitoring your website used to require multiple expensive tools. But that's not the case anymore, thanks to Ahrefs. Because they just launched their Ahrefs Webmaster Tools product, which monitors your SEO health, helps you keep track of your backlinks, and gives you the insight into what keywords are performing for free. So check out Ahrefs Webmaster Tools at ahrefs.com slash A-W-T. That's Ahrefs, A-H-R-E-F-S dot com slash A-W-T. Just one more link in our show notes I'd like to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, head over to VoicesOfSearch.com, where we have summaries of all of our episodes and contact information for our guests. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter, and you can even send us your topic suggestions or your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is Voices of Search on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or you can contact me directly. My handle is Ben J. Shap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P. And if you haven't subscribed yet, and you want a daily stream of SEO and content marketing insights in your podcast feed, we're going to publish an episode every day during the work week. So hit that subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. All right, that's it for today. But until next time, remember the answers are always in the data.